I sat on the board of a couple colleges. One was a selective public university. And they are, they're actually really hungry for a kid who comes in and says, I've been interested in mice since I was five years old. And here are the things I've done. And I've got mice growing at home and, or, you know, in my you know, cages at home. And I've done studies on them. And I'm working with this researcher about mice. That kid, <laughs> that kid it can write his ticket to university. In fact, that kid, better yet, will say, I want to go to this university because that professor is an expert in mice and I want to study with them. That's why I'm going to university, not to check the box, because, but because I'm actually really passionate about this topic and I want to go deep. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. This week, I'm speaking with Matt Barnes, the co-founder of The Education Game and a parent coach who helps parents navigate the education system and raise kids who are curious, competent, lifelong learners. In 2014, Matt launched The Education Makeover, a learning lab that studies parent decision-making, mindsets, and capabilities. And in 2020, he launched The Education Game, a speaking, coaching, blogging, and podcast platform that inspires parents to embrace a 21st century learning model that de-emphasizes grades and academic compliance while emphasizing learning, problem-solving, and student engagement. During this episode, we talked about how Matt has witnessed the educational system fail from the inside while he was part of educational boards the advantage the parents who know how to advocate for their children have, the roadblocks that prevent parents from navigating education systems, and some of those critical skills that are not taught in the traditional model, but are essential for our kids' success. We also talked about who Matt sees as the quote-unquote weird kids and why they have an advantage when they embrace their unique style of focus and learning. And we get into so much more in this conversation. If you are exploring your child's learning path and considering alternatives to traditional educational models, this episode is definitely for you. Before I get to that, I know there are many, many new listeners of this podcast. So if you are newer to Tilt Parenting, welcome. And I want to be sure you know about another resource I created to support you. And that is my book, Differently Wired. The Parent's Guide to Raising an Atypical Child with Confidence and Hope. So Differently Wired, it's kind of like part manifesto and part how to navigate this unique journey of parenting a neurodivergent child. If you haven't read it yet, I invite you to download the first chapter on my website at tiltparenting.com book. Lastly, don't forget to check your podcast feed on Fridays this season as Playback Fridays where I re-release some of my favorite episodes from the first two years of the show, is here again. I've got episodes with Dr. Ross Green, Alfie Cohn, Karen Young, Dr. Dan Peters, some special Asher episodes with my child, and many more. Again, you don't need to do anything special if you're subscribed to this podcast. The Playback Friday episodes will show up wherever you listen to this show. All right. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Matt. Hey, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love conversations like we're about to have because we're going to be talking about disruptors and shaking up the system and what's next for 
education and all of those good things. But we, before we, we get into have that, those conversations. Oh, yes, <laughs> so relevant right now more than ever, right? Yes, yes. But I'd love if you could just take a few minutes and tell us your who you are in the world. And I always love to know people's personal why for the work that they do. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. And again, honored to be on the show. Um, I'll start with my why, because that is actually the most uh, relevant uh, to the, your audience. And um, I've got uh, three kids. <laughs> and so every parent realizes, I think this is like God's humor, that every child is like very different in the home. We have three kids. And I tell you what, each one is as different from the other as night is from day, it seems. And what we realized pretty early on was that the more that we were following the system, the more that every one of our kids were treated as and as the same. And, you know, very quickly, we said that that doesn't work for us. Uh, you know, thankfully, we had the supports that we could could explore different types of learning models. Uh, but we allowed our kids to explore and to learn. And and that was kind of the big why. But there's a couple other smaller ones, Debbie, if I could talk about briefly. So I was on the board of not, now it's nine or maybe 10 educational institutions from a, a public, selective public university, private college, bunch of K-12 charter, private public schools, and a Head Start system. And in every example, in every circumstance, I realized that the system is actually in charge. The system has a way of trying to operate that doesn't want to change for the unique circumstances of a child or family. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not really a criticism. It's actually a fact. And as I lived through that and tried to change it from the top down, I realized that there's only so much that can happen from the top down. And so I started working with parents to help them learn how to make sure that they're advocating for their kids from the bottom up. So that's the other part of this why that's that's also important. I think it's such an interesting time too to be having this conversation because of, dare I say, we're nearing the end of the COVID pandemic. And it's been such a opportunity to really spotlight where all the cracks are in the system. And so I'm just wondering even your thoughts on that. Are you feeling a renewed sense of, or just more urgency, momentum around this, this shift that you're pushing for? Yes. So urgency, yes. Um, we have this window where everyone is alerted to the reality that this 150-year-old model of education just doesn't really work. It certainly doesn't work today. But at the same time, we're seeing all these new options that are coming coming online, whether they are micro schools or hybrid models of education or online instruction. I mean, all sorts of different models. And th those things are happening simultaneously. And then the third part, like you said, parents are now waking up and seeing, oh my gosh, there's some real, real deficits in the system. And so those three elements are causing me a, a renewed sense of optimism. But I will tell you where I get pessimistic, honestly, Debbie, is when I think about where our, our world is, where our society is, and how, how desperately important it is for our young people to grow up knowing how to think critically, how to hear comments from someone that you like, a politician that you like, and be able to criticize and critique it. And then to hear the same or same hear a policy from a politician that you don't like and to critique it and go, that's actually not a bad idea. That, that skill set is not taught 
And if it's not taught, then we are going to continue to have a society that's divided. And that makes me really nervous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just to touch upon COVID again, like when this all, when COVID started, a lot of people in my community, right? So my audience are parents raising neurodivergent, what I call differently wired kids, who we've always known that the system hasn't worked for our kids and our kids have been the outliers. And so I too saw this sense of opportunity, like, okay, maybe now's the chance to push for bigger change. And so you said that you've tried to do this within systems and, you know, from the inside and, and you realize that that wasn't working. So I'm wondering what do you do now? Like what, what is your kind of plan? Yes. Well, goodness. How are you going to yeah. fix this? Yes, that's yeah. right. Well, by the end of this call, we should have this all resolved. <laughs> so listeners just stay Excellent. tuned. We're going to have this all fixed up for you. Um, so, so kind of for me, I, again, you're right. The neurodiver- the parent of a neurodivergent child has known this from the start. So you all had to learn how to advocate early and you all had to learn how to not accept a no, <laughs> but how to negotiate and how to press for the things that your child needs. That to me is exactly what every parent needs to learn. But most parents don't realize that Again, the language I use is that every kid is unique, right? But the system wants to treat them all like they're the same. So if every parent had the skills and the urgency that uh, the parents of neurodiverse kids have, I think we're going to change the system really quickly. So now that's where I'm actually focused on how to help parents of all types recognize that their kid is unique and they're going to push the system to respond to that and to require the system to be uniquely present for, for their child. So I'm super curious to know what that entails or not like even before that, I imagine there are a lot of roadblocks or barriers to that for a variety of, of reasons, whether it's there culturally, there are barriers there, knowledge and awareness that we have a voice in this conversation. So what kind of gets in the way or what are you up against when it comes to working with parents? Yeah. So I'll start with, there's really two big ones. Culture is the first one. And and that, let me describe that in more detail. So when I say culture, I mean the assumptions, habits of behavior and beliefs that large numbers of people share. And one of those is that I should drop my child off at the school and everything should happen okay from there, right? That's a, that is a well-established norm. Um, and most people might have a, you know, a, you know, standard degree, degree, standard deviation around that norm. They may say, well, I will be involved in the school or I won't be involved, but there's generally that assumption that I can drop my kid off and the school's going to take it. Um, so that's a cultural norm that we have to really disrupt. And that's where COVID comes in because COVID has said, uh, that doesn't work so well. And everyone now is starting to realize that. But the second part of this is really one of fear. Every parent. So I've been doing parent coaching for now uh, 15 years. Um, and every parent, myself included, the dominant um, emotion <laughs> that we feel is fear. Worry about our kids' future. Worry about how they're going to be treated. Worry about uh, are they going to be prepared for this very different world that they're going to be stepping into. And so on this last point, this fear element, to me, the biggest opportunity 
is for us to have real conversations about what the future is going to look like. Because when parents start kind of really wrestling with the reality that we're moving into a world that is going to be decentralized, that's going to be disrupted as a regular matter of course, we have to prepare our children for a completely different set of uh, of assumptions. They have to be flexible. They have to be agile thinkers. They have to be problem solvers. The very skills that are not taught in a traditional educational model. So culture is the big one, but fear is the one that I see as a universal amongst all parents. And I think you drive out fear with love and you drive out fear with a plan. So that's what I'm trying to help parents uh, grab onto. I love that. Love and a plan. That is that is really the solution to everything, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. We'll be right back after this quick break. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So as you were talking, first of all, I just have to ask, have you read Stephanie Krause's book called Making It? No, I have not. She's someone I had on the podcast and listeners, I'll include a link in the show notes. 
Stephanie's book really talks about the future of work and what the future is going to look like and what are the skills that our, our kids need. And we had a fascinating conversation. So I just want to put that on your radar and our listeners' radars to, to go listen to that. Excellent. I definitely will listen to that. That's, that's hugely important. Again, just to put a point on that, if parents really understood that, so I'm going to direct people to this, to this show as well, um, because if parents really understood that, then the question is this. If that's where the future is, let's evaluate where the, what they're currently learning. And the gap between those two should cause a parent to go, okay, I'm going to need to figure out a different plan. And that's where, again, we then create a crosswalk from current to future. And, and that's, again, um, you know, part of, the, part of what I hope to help parents do. I don't know if this is going off on too much of a tangent right now because I have a junior in high school. And, you know, we're starting the exploration of college. And of course, the whole landscape for college admissions has changed also because of COVID test optional and is college important. But what I'm seeing in just Facebook groups and discussions that I'm witnessing, there's this, it's it's a very class uh, division, the people at the top, the wealthiest people are still kind of, you know, forging ahead pushing for this. And and so there, it's kind of almost like they're just walking around with their fingers in their ears, like, nope, we're going to stick with the program because this is the way it goes. And so I'm just asking, like, are you seeing that, that the more opportunity is coming from people who have, who don't have as many resources, but that's where the creativity comes in. You're exactly right. What I talk about is the families who won, who were winners in the old model, they have no reason to believe that it won't work again, right? And so they are actually, in a really weird way, they're going to be the very last families to transition into the new world of preparation for, for young people. Um, and so the opportunity actually, and they're going to double down, they're going to spend every dollar necessary to get their kids to college, and they're going to go into however much debt or they're right. They will do whatever it takes because they are looking at college as at minimum an insurance policy, right? They might know or believe or, or suspect that the world's, the future is going to be different, but they want that insurance policy and they're willing to pay anything to get it. What I'm seeing though, is that now there are 14 and 15 year olds. I've got two in this household who are developing the skills right now that are making them actually career ready and ready for a changing world in a way that I got to, I got to ask the question is unlikely to be bested by the four year college degree, the time lost during the, that period of time of being away in college. And, uh, and by the way, I just for the listeners, I have one who's in college and two who don't look like they're going to college. And I can, I can talk about the, the, the yin and yang I've seen of, of those two experiences as well, if you'd like. Yeah, I'm really curious to, to hear more about the skills that you, you said your two at home are developing that, you know, are going to really support them and in, in having a self-fulfilled or, you know, kind of be able to create the life that they want for themselves. Because I want to have a better understanding of what those opportunities are for you know, our listeners' kids, many of whom are forging their own paths, many of whom are being homeschooled. I know you're really into self-directed learning, and I'd like to talk about that too. But what do you see as those skills that are really important for our kids? Yep. So let me go through a couple. Um, and again, this will be really based on how much time you have. But the first one I'll start with is uh, problem solving. 
And this, you know, you've probably heard of the problem solving cycle of setting a goal, developing a plan, executing on that plan, evaluating your progress, and then repeating the process again, right? That's how all problems get solved. And every high functioning adult does this all the time without even thinking about it. It's just, it's automated. That is entirely disrupted in a traditional model of education because the child can't set any goals. The school sets the goals. The school decides the plan. The school decides the execution strategy, like when the test is going to be, what you need to study, et cetera. And then the school evaluates the child. So the whole process is interrupted. But when you have a child who's now moving away from that model, you're asking the child, what do you want to learn about? What's the skill that you want to develop? Once they identify that, now you start the process. All right, well, what's your plan? Let's talk about what your plan looks like. And there's a ton of coaching that oftentimes a parent is going to need to play in that. And the parent role shifts into what we call a learning coach. So you're coaching your child. You're not solving problems for them, but you're helping them get access to the tools of problem solving, right? Here's another one, how to fail. Now, Everybody knows this, right? I saw you kind of snicker when I <laughs> when I said that, right? Every parent knows that uh, the school strongly discourages failure, right? It shames it shames failure. But in a world that's constantly changing, failure has to be accepted. You will fail, and you're going to fail a lot. The question is, are you going to learn through the failure? And oftentimes, the answer in an educational model is no because I failed and now I am a failure, right? There's this whole kind of shame thing that comes onto the child. Um, So how to fail is the second one. And then the third one is the real way that we learn. Now, watch this. If I want to learn about anything, let's say I want to learn about neurodivergent kids. What's the very first thing that I'm likely to do? Google, what is neurodivergent children? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. However, that's that's actually probably the second or third thing I'll do. The first thing I'm going to do is tap my network, right? I'm going to now call Debbie. <laughs> say, Debbie, hey, I've got a question. Who, who do I talk to? And you're going to say, go to this website, talk to this person, et cetera. So the network is actually increasingly the most essential element of a child or an adult's life, right? You talked about your Facebook groups. That's a form of network. You can go there and ask for questions and get uh, resolution right answers. This is a skill and it is a hard skill because it creates a sense of insecurity when you ask someone that you, you know, you don't know them very well. Can I talk, talk to you for a little bit? But I can see this in my kids, how they get better at it. They get better at it. And now any problem, they know how to learn about that problem in a way that shortcuts the Google searches, shortcuts the YouTube uh, searches because they're going right to source. So those are three elements, problem solving, how to fail, how to learn. I could also talk about how to quit and when there's a whole conversation about quitting and quitting is actually a healthy thing to do. We do it all the time. We don't usually talk about it, but it's a skill. So anyway, these are all elements of things that you learn when you're outside of the system and they're absolutely essential for a world that's changing. It's really difficult to learn these skills if you're just kind of humming along. I believe that the traditional educational model works 
for pretty much no one, but there are some kids who manage to kind of do okay and get through that system. But for, for those kids who even manage to get through it and from the outside appear to be thriving in that system, unless they're kind of putting in the extra work, they're not leaving with these skills. No, 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 they're not. In fact, they're leaving with, um, with these skills being atrophied almost to the point of not being there at all. As an example, uh, the child that is killing it in the traditional model, straight A's, right? Um, what is the message they're getting? Their message is never fail, right? And that is a hard message to unlearn. But again, parents, here's a, here's a question I ask of every parent I work with, Debbie, and I'll put it to you and your listeners. And it's really about your vision, the parent's vision of what the future is going to look like. Do you believe that the future is going to be less stable or simply more change in the future or less? And if the answer is more change in the future, then we have to prepare our kids to fail. If the answer is less change, then we have to prepare them to succeed. So it's a really a function about how much transition we expect and if we expect lots of transition, then the, we we naturally get to a point where we're like, okay, we got to make our, make sure our kids are ready for constant disruption. And and that is for the kids that are successful in the current model. That's actually going to be a quiet danger that they're going to have to unlearn at some point, and and that's a hard lesson to unlearn. Yeah, absolutely. As you were talking about those three things, problem solving, ability to fail, how to learn, I was reminded of a TED talk, and I'll try to find it to post in the show notes of, about math and how the important thing is not knowing how to solve the math problem, or it's not getting the right answer. It's knowing how to approach the problem. That's where the, where the learning is, you know? Yes, yes. And the confidence that comes from trying multiple different angles and eventually figuring it out. That's really the key. And again, you know, I won't, I won't get off my high horse here in a second, but um, speed is always encouraged in a traditional model, but uh, you can't speed your way through disruption. It, it requires time and it requires patience and the internal fortitude to tolerate change. So I love that you keep using this word disruption and the, I did a TEDx talk in Amsterdam several years ago called Why the Future Will Be Differently Wired. And the whole point of it was that our kids, our neurodivergent kids, are labeled as disruptive when they're kids and not in a good way. Yet we need them to be the disruptors when they're grownups, right? So one of the things that you say is that normal is broken in school and from now on weird wins. And so that really got my attention um, because I, you know, no offense to any listeners, but we've got the weird kids, right? But so can you talk more about what do you mean when you're referring to to the weird kids? Yes, yes. Well, you know, it's it's a play on words there, of course. But the idea that um, uh, the weird kid, the one who is um, curious about weird topics, right? Unusual topics that you know, I heard about a young man who was really interested in rodents, right? Just like fascinated by rodents. In a traditional model, that kid wouldn't have any space to really explore. Uh, but in a model that's, um, uh, you know, weird, <laughs> using that language again, um, that child would be able to go as deep as they want. And through that weirdness, they can learn about all forms of biology and history and mathematics and uh, writing, 
all of it through the lens of a mouse or the mouse's reproductive cycle or the mouse's, you know, place in, you know, moving plagues around in, in, uh, in, in history. Like there's all sorts of learning that's available there. But that requires a pers- highly personalized learning experience and a learning coach that's walking alongside that child entirely different than the sage on a stage, which is the historical role of a teacher who has the content is delivering it to the child. The guide by the side language is the person that's saying, oh, you're, you're interested in mouse or mice? Why? What do you like about mice? Hmm, let's explore that more. How would you explore that? Um, who do you know who who could who could tell you more about mice? Right, you're 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 seeding the questions that that young young man or woman could learn how to solve their problems and how to explore. And who knows where that interest will take them? Maybe it's related to mice, maybe it's not. But no doubt that their interest and their weirdness allows them to learn far faster, allows them to be far more engaged and to be far more interesting than the typical kid who just dutifully does what's told to them every day in order to get that A. You know, last point, I mean, I, I sat on the board of a couple of colleges. One was a selective public university. And they are they're actually really hungry for a kid who comes in and says, I've been interested in mice since I was five years old. And here are the things I've done. And I've got mice growing at home and, or, you know, in my you know, cages at home. And I've done studies on them. And I'm working with this researcher about mice. That kid, <laughs> that kid it can write his ticket to university. In fact, that kid, better yet, will say, I want to go to this university because that professor is an expert in mice. And I want to study with them. That's why I'm going to university. Not to check the box. Because, but because I'm actually really passionate about this topic and I want to go deep. That's the difference. And that kid can write his ticket. That's really kind of like the ultimate outcome of self-directed learning, what you're describing. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. 
If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So first of all, many of us have those kids, right, who who really go deep into some sometimes obscure areas of interest, sometimes multiple. And I love this language of, of the head coach, the learning coach, and that that's something we as parents, that's a role that we can play. Two questions. One is, can we do this even if our kids are still in an old educational model? And how do we as parents really become better learning coaches for our kids? First question, how can you do this in the old model? The answer is yes, but it's hard. And the reason it's hard is because you're really on you're on two horses. You, you know that circus act where the you know the woman is standing on top of two different horses and they're running full speed, right? That's where the parent actually is and where the child ends up being. So at school they're they're rewarded for one type of behavior. At home they're rewarded for a very different one. There's a whole socialization of being around other kids who are all competing and all you know buying into that model. And and then you come home and you're kind of alone and mom is telling you grades don't matter and curiosity matters, but the child's going, okay, mom, you're the only one saying that, right? So the longer the child is in that environment, the harder it gets because the child starts to get enculturated into that. It's possible, but it's hard. But the way that you move out of that is not necessarily the light switch where, you know, day one, you're in the school, day two, you're not. I argue that the best model is actually a transitional model where, Usually in January, it's the best time to start. Uh, and so, you know, first of the year is usually where I, where I do this with families. And that is to have the conversation, what I call a mission map or a dream map, where you're asking the child, hey, what's one thing that if you knew you couldn't fail, that you would do? What's one thing? And, and, and you, there's a process to kind of brainstorm some things and put them on. And then they choose the thing that they would do if they knew they couldn't fail or the, or the thing that they would change in the world, that's the mission map, if they knew they could not fail. And then you begin a process of saying, okay, well, let's, let's just start spending a little time on that. And let's start to figure out how we could start to develop a small plan. But then the point is that actually from January until May, you're actually slowly building steam on that plan so that when you hit summer, it's actually an intentional summer where you are now going into that plan headstrong, right? And and oftentimes after six months of this sort of progression and a summer of like really going deep, some kids will go, mom, I really want to continue this, right? So the child now is saying, 
I really want to continue my study about uh, about mice. Again, I'm using that bad example, but uh, I, I've actually been around a kid who that was their interest. Um, so the ch- once the child starts to realize that they have a passion, then when they're in school, they start going, mm, I'm not able to really connect with that. So now there's a little bit of a break in the social monopoly that schools have on kids. The kid will go, hey, school's fun, but boy, there's something that's in my heart that's really pushing me and what, that I want to really dig, dig into. And so sometimes this takes a year and a half of, of, of investment, but the, the steadiness of the parent to kind of keep asking those questions can start to create the conditions where the child will go, you know, mom, you know, next year, can we do something a little differently? Right. Um, and, and again, many schools nowadays, this is actually a, a great bonus. Many schools nowadays are more open than ever to unusual models. Uh, you can negotiate with the school. Hey, can I get my child come to school two days a week? Because these other two days, we want more flexibility because he's going to be going to the museum and studying this or that. Or can, um, you know, we're going to take off a semester or we're going to take off a month and work remotely because we're actually going to go someplace else and learn in country or in, you know, in the research lab for a semester or for a month. Right? These are things that can actually be negotiated. And again, the parents on your show, the parent and your listeners know that almost anything can be negotiated if you have a good case and you are ready to actually, you know, fight the battle for the sake of your child. And that's all I'm ultimately arguing. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I imagine as our parents are talking with their kids about this, they're also having to constantly be addressing their own fear, which is going to keep coming up, right? Because the further you go down this path, it can feel really good, but there's always going to be moments where you're like, well, we're really deviating here. No doubt. And, I, and again, I, I feel it to this day. I still feel this kind of hesitance, like, oh my gosh, am I really setting my kids up? But I keep looking at my kids and looking at what they're doing. And I, at some point, I have to now compare that to what I see and have seen from the university side. And the difference is so stark that I have no, I'm not at all concerned. I'm not at all concerned. Just briefly, I've got one child who uh, wrote a book at 17, published author at 17, another who is a consultant at 15 um, uh, in tech and some tech space. And again, these are the areas that they're interested in. One's interested in flight and theater. Like you can't make that up, right? Um, So they're going to figure this out. And I have absolute confidence that um, the time between now, you know, the 15, 16, and 17 issue, issue or ish, 17 and 16 and 17, their age now, um, till the time that they're 21, that's a long period of time. And there's a ton of lane, learning that can happen during that time. And we actually have a bit of a schedule set out for how that next few years looks like. They can always go back to college if they choose to. And I have no doubt, having talked to a bunch of admissions officers, that these are the type of kids that admissions officers are looking for. But I also know that there's a chance that they will go, you know what, I'm going to take a few courses because I'm interested, may get a degree, may not, but I'm definitely going to be prepared for a world that's changing. That's that's the fear, but that's that's something at some point parents are going to need. To, you know what, here's an idea, Debbie. As soon as possible, contact admissions officers and ask them to give you the names of kids that were homeschooled at their university, right? And then go and talk to those kids or parents and see if they can, if they create a connection for you to find out 
what experiences and path they followed. Some were homeschooled, but they followed a traditional path. Some were homeschooled and followed a very non-traditional path. And you'll see both. And so I want parents to feel some comfort that the non-traditional path actually is increasing in value every single year that we go on. It's, it's increasing in value. So maybe I'll shut up there. No, I've heard that as well. And I, that is very inspiring, I think, again, for, for our kids who have always been on a different path and have just such unique ways of moving through the world and approaching problems and doing all of those things. So it's, it is exciting. And I, and I do, you know, this is one of those conversations that's making me feel optimistic as well. I have two last questions and then we'll, we'll wrap up one. I just want to know with regards to age, is there age of kids to sit down and have that conversation you were describing in that January to May plan? Is there an ideal age to start that? So the mission map and the and the dream map really can happen almost at every at any age. You have to tone it down, of course, if the child is, you know, four or five. And really you're not looking at months when the child is in their, you know, three or four or five years old. You're looking at days. Um, what's one thing that you'd like to try to accomplish in the next two days? Right. So you really tone it down if they're two or three years old. Um, but they're capable of starting to think about that. Now, if you wait until probably the you know, the, the transition time for most kids that I see is around 11 or 12, when they start realizing that they're cap- capable of far more than the school is asking of them, that may be the next window. Uh, middle school also is oftentimes very tough for kids because of the whole structure of middle school, et cetera. So that could be another window to, to, to take this on. Um, but there's no, there's no lower limit to, to helping a child learn that there are things inside of them that cause them excitement and and that's okay for them to pursue those things. There's no, no, it can't be done too soon. And it works for adults. So the parent should be doing the same thing along with the child, by the way. I love that. Yes. We get to, to be lifelong learners and keep kind of creating what we want for ourselves. Yeah, that's great. So before we go, I know that you are working on a book or maybe it's done and it's called Educating a Parent. Can you tell us about that and when listeners can grab that? Yes. Um, so this is <laughs> this is the most interesting thing I think I've ever attempted. And right now we've got 45 authors from 14 countries, all who have subject matter expertise on areas related to uh, the things that I've seen that parents need to understand about the future. Right. And so each of these authors is going to contribute a small amount, you know, 4,000 words or so to wet the whistle of parents around specific topics. Then those subject matter experts will be available for those families to, to work with in a free or very low cost uh, model. Essentially, what we're trying to build here is the crosswalk for, from parent from the old model to the new and to try to allow parents who have very different kids and circumstances to have one resource where they can pick that up. We are now in the process of, of slowly pushing that out on LinkedIn. We're pushing it out by chapters. Um, and, you know, and we want feedback as we're doing this. We expect it to be ready for publishing probably at the end of, of this year. But it, over the next several months, we're going to be pushing out. So if you, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, you're going to start seeing these excerpts that are going to be coming out to help wet the whistle for parents and also to let parents know that there is a, a plan that they can follow. I love that. And that idea of a crosswalk, I love that visual. And 
gosh, what an incredible resource to be creating. God, I hope so. I, I pull, I'm pulling every hair out of my head in order to get this thing done. But it's it's from 15 plus years of working with parents. I'm like, these are these are conversations that every parent needs to have. I didn't feel like I could write one book and do that. So I started asking others that, I'm, that are in my network to contribute. And uh, so far, it's actually pretty amazing. We got an illustrator from the New Yorker who's going to be participating. There's a U.S. Secretary of Education who... Well, I won't. I won't tell much more about that. There's a whole bunch of interest around this, and so hopefully by you know midsummer we'll announce the you know the plans for publishing, and then by the end of the year we'll be out out in bookstores. That's great. I hope that you'll come back and talk with us about the book when it is available, listeners. I will have links for where you can connect with Matt on LinkedIn and any other things that you want to be sure listeners check out before we say goodbye. Well, the educationgame.com is where I do my individual parent coaching, although that is really, I've toned that down because I'm focusing on this book. I want to help thousands of parents rather than hundreds, um, hopefully tens of thousands rather than hundreds. So that that's uh, those are two ways to get a hold of me. But LinkedIn is where I'm most active and so hope to connect with families there. Wonderful. And is there one last thought you want to leave listeners with who've been kind of, their curiosity has been sparked by this conversation? What would you want them to take away? Fear is a paralyzer. And so this idea that love and a plan are the two things that can overcome fear. So remember the passion and the excitement you had when your child was born, the the, the vision you have for that child, that's the love. And the plan is this crosswalk. How do we get them there? How do we support them in that? Though, with those two pieces, you're going to do fine. So uh, be encouraged, parents. You're doing a great work. Keep it up. Such a great note to end this on. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm excited to stay connected and to support this book. Sounds amazing when it comes out. So thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for the time. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to dig deeper into this episode, check out the show notes page. Every episode has a dedicated show notes page on my website where you can get links to all the resources we discussed, read a transcript, and even easily go back and listen to key takeaways by using the chapters feature on the podcast player. To get to the show notes page for this episode, just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this show. If you love this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. For as little as $2 a month, you can help cover the cost of the hosting platform for the show, my wonderful new editor and producer, Andrea, and more. It's so easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. If you're into social media, you can follow Tilt Parenting at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter. Visit the Tilt Parenting page on Facebook or join my Facebook community called Tilt Together. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information, visit www.tiltparenting.com.
Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.